Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to another episode of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, your co-host for today, and I'm here with a really exciting author of a really cozy, fun new mystery. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hi, my name is Emily George, and I am the author of A Half-Baked Murder, which is a cozy mystery in the U.S. uh, surrounding a weed bakery. (laughs) It's so, so much fun. Um, I have had so much fun reading it. And I also had a lot of fun looking at your website when I was uh, trying to learn a little bit more about you. And something that really took me was that on your uh, author bio, it says that you like to write about female friendships, family and furry friends. And I really like that because like all those things feature here. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, you know, like your writing career and how you got interested in those things and how that led you to this book? Yes, absolutely. So I have actually been around for quite a long time. I've written 30 plus books in a completely different genre before I decided to make the leap over to writing mysteries. And mysteries is actually my first love as a reader. I started reading Agatha Christie when I was like 11 years old, and it's always been the genre that I have loved the absolute most. So when I said to my agent, I'd love to try something new and cozy mysteries, uh, something I really enjoy reading, I started to think about like what are the things that I really love about those books and what has kept me reading that genre for such a long time and I love animals I'm a big animal person and I love that pets always seem to feature in these stories Uh, I also love that there are a lot of great friendships I think that's something that I don't know makes a book really exciting to me is watching people's relationships blossom over time and that you have all these relationships between sort of like different generations whether it's like a grandmother or an aunt and the person that's sort of the protagonist in the story and the people around her I love that big cast of characters it's one of the things that entices me to keep reading books in a series so that's why I thought well when I get started writing um, a book in this genre myself those are the things I really want to bring to the story to create that welcoming environment for the reader. Hmm. I love that you know and it, it occurred to me while I was reading this you know I just got really interested in thinking about like the whole idea of like a cozy mystery and you know why that's a thing because it's on the surface, it seems a little paradoxical, you know, like it's <laughs> like a murderer <laughs> and there's like people keeping secrets and all these things, but they are really cozy. And like mm-hmm. part of that has to do with the fact that like, you know, some of them like this one take place in these like really loving, like friendly communities. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like, what do you think makes mysteries cozy? And like, what did you kind of do to achieve that in this book? Yeah, I think that's the thing I love about cozy mysteries is it's like murder, but make it fun and welcoming, which does seem like an odd combination. But it it has that, I don't know, there's something I think about the settings of a cozy mystery that just invite the reader to keep coming back to the same place because you get to know everybody in the town and you get to understand all of the people that own all of the shops and you can sort of escape into a place that becomes familiar after a point in time where it's sort of like, You know, I think a lot of us read sometimes when life is a bit tough and we just want a couple of hours to get away and fall into another world where we can be whoever we want to be. 
And I think cosy mysteries really capitalize on that. They create that environment that is super welcoming for the reader and that does feel really um, enticing and weirdly enough safe, even though there seems to be a couple of dead bodies lying around. Um, But they do have that lovely sort of, you know, even if you look back at the oldest style of like those real English village type mysteries of the Agatha Christie era, they still have that like you get to know all of the people and you feel like you could actually live in that place. Mm, that's so true. That's such a good point. Um, yeah, and I guess there's something too about like serial mysteries, like you're talking about that, like, <clears throat> you know, it splits the difference between something familiar and something new because mm-hmm. like you're working with characters that you know and love, but you know, like some new faces show up and something new happens that's gonna like, you know, upset the 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 everyday, you know, of all these people. Um yeah, that's so interesting. Um, what I really loved about this was the fusion of rom-com and mystery. And I think that, mm. you know, they're balanced really nicely here. And they even, um, they're not just um, parallel plots, like developments in one sort of like uh, affect developments in the other, if that makes any sense. Um, could you tell me a little bit about like how you achieve this balance and kind of keep both uh, threads um, at the center, if that makes any sense? The short answer is revisions. (laughs) It's definitely something I think that, you know, when you are, when you do have a book that has these multiple different plot lines going there, it it does feel a bit like a juggling act when you're writing the book. And it is definitely something that um, doesn't always come out in the first draft. So that is something that I'm acutely aware of when I go back through the story a second, third, fourth time is to just look for all of the places where it feels like something might be out of whack so that we can tweak it and make sure everything feels uh, nice and balanced. And I really did want the romance between Chloe and Jake to feed into the murder plot because my this is like a Game of Thrones thing my husband always complained about was that he only liked one of the plot lines and every time we deviated from that plot line he's like this is not the real story I want to go back to that (laughs) other place so I wanted to make sure that all of it felt like the real storyline and that readers were invested in it because it was all tied in together as opposed to feeling like um, separate kind of things that then at some point later on joined up I don't think we have the amount of time per book as George Aran does with the, that series to really bring everything together at the end we've got to kind of keep it all together mm-hmm. through the course of the story so yes with a lot of help from my editor always just making sure that all of those threads are tied in nicely together and that we're never losing focus on any one aspect of the story mm. yeah it's kind of like keeping plates spinning you know because you have mm-hmm. to sort of keep both like in the in the periphery of the reader like while other things are developing it's like a really interesting kind of kind of act that you have to or a thing that you have to achieve um let's talk about chloe because i love her so much um and you know the the beginning of the book finds her in a, a sort of like um uh, very familiar place, I think, for a lot of us in our late 20s, you know, mm-hmm. where like we are a few years out of college and we've like tried our birth- our first big thing, you know, in the world. Like we've tried to achieve that first dream and not all of us made it, you know. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, what Chloe is going through as this book begins and how that drives uh, how she gets involved in this mystery. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Chloe is um, someone that I relate to as someone that's always tried to be a high achiever, like got good grades in school, always wanted to like keep her family happy and impressed with what she was doing, works really hard. And I think that a lot of people like that at some point reach a point in their life where all of those plates that were spinning suddenly start to drop and crack and you have to sort of take a step back and reassess, okay, what am I actually doing here? What is it that I want to achieve? Am I going in the right direction? It's kind of the quintessential millennial question, I feel like, is that, you know, are we doing what we're meant to be doing with our life? And so for Chloe, there's a whole bunch of things that happen at once. She finds out that her fiancé has cheated on her with um, someone that they work with and that person has gotten pregnant. She um, then makes a poor decision to stay at work after that happens and doesn't have a very good night in the fancy restaurant where she's working. And, of course, that's the night where a food critic comes in and then slashes her work in a uh, review magazine. And then she finds out on top of that that her beloved Grandma Rose has um, received a breast cancer diagnosis back in the US. And so she basically decides that this is the universe shoving me in a certain direction. I have to go home and be with my family in this time and I'm just going to kind of forget Paris ever happened. And so at the start of the book, she has just arrived home and is essentially trying to figure out what do the next steps of her life look like and how can she build a life in Azalea Bay to be with her grandmother, which is not the life she thought she was going to have because she always wanted to get out of the small town and now she's back. So, yes, she is kind of at a point of having to reassess everything that she thought she wanted and also have that moment of thinking about what is really important in life. And for Chloe, as I'm sure for a lot of readers, that is family. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting how... um the age of the protagonist sort of um, plays into some stuff that I read on your website. Cause I saw that you referred to yourself as an elder millennial, which I am too. I was born in 1983 mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you know, and I, I've actually like, in the last few years have spent a lot of time like thinking about that part of my life, you know, like, mm-hmm. because it's um, I think you finally have enough distance to really like understand yourself when you were younger and you were trying to figure stuff out. And I was wondering if you had like a similar reason for like, you know, develop developing a, a protagonist going through that period in her life, you know, if that was absolutely, or, you know, Absolutely. It's um, so when I, right before I turned 30, I packed in my very well-paying corporate job in um, back home in Melbourne in Australia. And I had just gotten my first book contract and my husband and I decided to move to Canada. We had never been to Canada. I had never seen snow in my entire life. And we literally took two suitcases each. We had no, we had no jobs. We had nothing. We just moved to the other side of the world on kind of a whim. And part of that was fueled by the fact that I I had gone through university and I hated my job and I hated my career and I was unhappy and I didn't feel creatively fulfilled. And so it was a different catalyst than what Chloe is experiencing in this book, but it was that same level of upheaval. And a lot of the like, Chloe has a bit of guilt about the fact that she had left her family. And I can say that that is drawn very closely from my own experience of being on the other side of the world away from my own parents, especially during the pandemic, which was when I was writing this book, Mm. that it was very, very hard to be away from them. So I'm like intimately familiar with that feeling of like knowing that my life is somewhere else, but also really missing my parents and my sister and that sort of stuff. So 
there was definitely a lot of my own experience kind of drawn on to create those feelings. But yes, yeah, so I have definitely had that like late 20s total upheaval of life <laughs> moment. <laughs> so it was fun to try and think about like, oh, how else might that happen? And, you know, make sure that I don't want to write any autobiographical characters. So how can I take the feeling of that experience and then kind of use it to create a fictional catalyst and um, activities? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, because it lets you to it lets you explore the same sort of like emotions and mm. upheavals, but without having to like draw so literally on your own life. I really like that. That's really cool. Um, one of the things I loved about it, too, was Chloe's relationship with her grandmother. Like it's mm. so lived in and so cozy. Like I feel like that word's going to just keep coming up. Um, and I think it does well to sort of like, you know, sometimes to illustrate like the sometimes uh, uh, complex notion of home that we have, you know, because like mm -hmm. it is a place of comfort and like where the people that we like grew up with uh, were, but also like that's where we lived when we were like very different people <laughs> than, you know, mm -hmm. the people that we are now. And sometimes we're embarrassed of those people or they were people who made us unhappy in that period of our life, you know? So like Chloe is going through a lot, like arriving home after a long time away. Um, I feel like there's a big thing that hasn't come up yet, which is like what her plan is <laughs> to recover mm -hmm. from uh, this failure in Paris. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, what her, what is Chloe's plan B? <laughs> so when she comes home, she doesn't really have a plan B beyond maybe getting a job at a bakery in town because it's a cute small town. So obviously there are plenty of bakeries and her aunt basically approaches her with a suggestion that kind of comes a bit out of left field. So since Chloe's been home, her grandmother is having uh, chemotherapy infusions for her breast cancer. And one of the things that her doctor has suggested is that she consumes some cannabis to help with some of the side effects of the chemo, such as pain and nausea and general feeling of sort of being unwell and stress and things like that. And so Chloe uh, bakes on request, bakes her grandma some weed brownies, which is a thing she never thought she would ever do. <laughs> and her aunt said, you know, these are the the best like animals that I've ever had. And her aunt is a bit of a wild child, so has tried lots of things in her history. And she suggests that Chloe open a cannabis cafe. And at first she's quite resistant to the idea because Chloe is a little bit of a straight arrow. She's not necessarily someone that's ever strays too far from her like original goal because she's in her mind always going to achieve those things. So now she's in this weird situation of that original goal of working the Michelin star restaurant Paris is now off the table. Is she going to be happy just working in a bakery for someone else? most likely not that would get very dull for her over time because she's a real creative person and so when this opportunity comes up to open a weed cafe with her aunt she uh stews on it for a little while and then decides to go for it and so the first book really explores them coming up with the concept for the cafe and going through the process of trying to get the licensing and building a new dream for Chloe that's going to then carry on the business um, through the series of books about the cafe. So it was really fun. I think sometimes with Cozy Series, they tend to jump in like once the business has already been started. But I really wanted to sort of show the thought process behind why she's going in this new direction. Um, you know, I, I guess some of the angst that new business owners have when they're like getting things off the ground and have the like mix of stress and excitement that that can bring. So yeah, that was something that I really wanted to take some time in the first book to explore. And uh, then in the second book, which I'm writing at the moment, the cafe is open and we get to see a little bit more of Chloe in her element. Oh, I'm so excited to hear that because I can't wait to see 
you know, like what this brings to the community and how Chloe uh, like makes this space happen. You know, I like that, like <clears throat> some of the things that you've talked about, about like her struggles with opening a new business and, and all that are like further complicated by the fact that like a, a cannabis cafe is while legal in California, like still not like universally uh approved of <laughs> mm-hmm. there are some uh you know a, a, there's one prominent that I can remember uh naysayer you know of her venture um but what I really liked about it is that like for, for the whole like the, the community is very accepting you know and mm-hmm. like uh her grandmother and her circle of friends are very supportive of the venture and they're very open-minded what I thought was interesting is like one of the reasons why this venture seems so so enticing to her even though she does resist it at first is because like she does have like a personal investment with her grandmother mm-hmm. and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like how um you know how her family in general plays into uh the story as her support network because they don't just help with her business venture but also with like um you know solving the mystery at the heart of it which mm-hmm. we, we also haven't really broached yet um so yeah can you talk a little bit how about you how you develop these characters especially dawn because i loved her like she's kind of everything that i want to be like when i get older so same <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah dawn is a really interesting character and i felt like i needed um kind of a foil to Chloe's quite serious like type a ambitious personality I wanted someone to help balance her out and Dawn is the perfect person for that she is someone who you know has been called by others a bit of a hippie she's kind of you know always in this like cloud of truly perfume and jewelry everywhere and colors and is you know a bit of a free spirit and buff tradition and all of those things and I just loved how she is the person that really inspires Chloe to stay out of the box because I think Chloe can be quite a risk-averse character and it's Dawn's influence that really, I think, helps her actually achieve her potential and take those risks and push herself to be more. And then um, Grandma Rose, who is Dawn's mother, is more of a grounding influence. She is that, you know, she's a soft, sweet grandma type, but she also has some, like, you know, cracking one-liners in there because she's not a pushover by any means. She's also very strong-willed and is a real, um, she's a real battler. Like whatever, whatever life throws at her, Grandma Rose will like dig her feet in and get ready to fight uh, for her family and for what's right. And I think that that, and then the little bit of whimsy that we get from Dawn feed very nicely down into Chloe. And they have this wonderful female family network that I just found such a delight to write. And then all of the other people from the town kind of bring different elements to that as well. But in the first book, I really wanted to focus very heavily on the family because the impetus for Chloe becoming um, involved in the cannabis baking is Grandma Rose's illness. And um, one one thing that I did want to explore too was a little bit about, I guess, the stigma that sometimes people face when using cannabis for those medical aspects. Um, I I unfortunately have um, quite a lot of history of breast cancer in my own family. And so, and it wasn't something that was available to people that way. You know, I experienced that with my own family members. So I did, yeah, I did want to kind of look at, you know, how grandma was like coming to groups with taking this thing that previously she thought was bad and that Chloe's trying to support her by making it more accessible and how all of the women are really there arm in arm to like take care of each other. And then when it comes to solving the mystery, um, you find out very early on in the story, obviously that Aunt Dawn is the main suspect. And so obviously everyone has to band together because um, 
there's no way they're going to let her get them for a crime that she didn't commit. And so that sort of tight knit family aspect, again, feeds into all aspects of the story so that we get lots of different sides of everyone's personas as they move through the plot. Hmm. Yeah. And there is a really interesting cast of supporting characters here. Um, I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, who are your favorite characters to craft for this town? Because like they are, you know, presumably uh, going to be like long term inhabitants Mm -hmm. of like the story world. So um, who are your favorites and who are you most excited to explore in uh, future future tales in this world? I think Chloe seems like the obvious choice, so I won't dwell on her for too much. But I actually loved writing Star, who Mm -hmm. is the owner of the LA-inspired health and wellness. And it's basically like every ridiculous LA wellness health trend, like dialed up to 12 in this cafe. Um, But I kind of love that. She's just so unapologetically herself. She's not perhaps always the nicest person, but I also love that complexity because I think sometimes as writers, especially writers of female characters, we do kind of get pushed into writing a lot of nice characters so that they're palatable for the reader. And I wanted to write Star as a bit of an antagonist, but who's also kind of like charmingly not nice Mm. if that is even a thing I just love that she's just you know she's very authentic to who she is and she has some great dialogue and provides a kind of something for Chloe to roll her eyes at a little bit but um, as we get to know Star a little bit more in the subsequent books we'll see that there is a bit more depth to her underneath that sort of like blonde LA girl persona so I had a great time writing her oh that's great yeah I loved her too she's yeah, she's, you know, she's not the nicest person, but she is, like, devastatingly funny. She's <laughs> <It's> hilarious. <laughs> she is, like, um, yeah, just very unapologetic about being, like, a, you know, an unrepentant gossip. And, you know, because of that, that might make her, like, less palatable to some people, but it also makes her, like, a great person for someone who's solving a mystery on their own time to know, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of my favorite things about this um, was, I think, the message that you kind of get through Chloe's journey Um, while she's developing this, you know, new business plan with her family and reconnecting with her hometown. um, You know, she's really managing this, like what she has perceived as like a massive personal and professional failure and recovering from that. And part of her journey is to like really learn how to like kind of say, say yes to the unknown, you know, and to Mm -hmm. like let go of, the idea that like success has to look one way, you know, and that you won't, if you don't do that thing that you thought was your dream, you won't ever be happy, you know? Mm-hmm. Was that something that like, um, that you were conscious of while you were like sort of crafting her journey? Yeah, I think that that was definitely a theme. I mean, I I have to admit that I'm one of those writers that does go by the seat of my pants. The story just kind of comes out and then I try and clean it up later. That's definitely my process. So I don't always think while I'm writing very actively about the themes, but as the story starts to emerge, I get a sense of like what's important to these characters and what is the thing that they're dealing with outside the obvious stuff like the murder and opening the business. And for Chloe, I really felt like her her wound on some level is that she's never going to be good enough because uh, you find out a bit about her family situation that her mother abandoned her when she was quite young. She never knew her dad. 
So she was raised by our grandma and Aunt Dawn and that loss of her mother has impacted her in a way that is part of what drives her to be successful because she feels like in spite of not being loved by her mother that she has to prove that she's worthy of a place on earth. And unfortunately, sometimes for her, the way she has gone about that is with this very rigid, narrow mindset of like what things should be like. And that's been great in the past because she has been able to go down that path, but she's also not someone that's always super open to change. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really for her, this book and this series is going to be about understanding how to pivot and roll with the punches a little bit and just kind of freeing her up a little bit to just live and to be okay with things sometimes veering off in a direction that she didn't anticipate. So, yeah, I won't say that that was something I actively thought about while I was writing, but as I spent more time with Chloe, I started to really understand that's what she needs to be the best version of herself. And so then once that kind of is in my head, it starts to come out even more um, as I'm working through the revisions and bringing her story to life. Nice. Yeah, it's really interesting, I think, how like the you know, the, the message or the theme can sort of be a, a byproduct of telling a story, you know, mm. rather than the point, you know, and it's sort of an interesting way to, you know, to learn what's important to you in the moment, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> once you've got your story choices and like the, the, the world that you've crafted. Um, well, I've really loved talking to you about this book. I thought it was so much fun and I can't wait to hear, uh, to read rather <laughs> the next ones. Um, do you know how long we'll all have to to wait for the next one? I mean, the, you know, as of the recording, it's still quite a while till this book comes out. But <laughs> yeah, I think I'm trying to think back now. I have a feeling off the top of my head that the second book's due to come out in August next year. But that don't don't hold me to that 100 percent things change in publishing all the time. So Absolutely. I think it'll be sort of the latter part of next year or possibly in early into what will that be 20 math 2024 yeah, so yeah <laughs> yeah it's it is a little bit of a wise away and I had I finished this book so long ago so waiting for it to come out has been low-key torture because I love it so much and I'm just really excited to be uh working on the second book because it kind of gets me back into that world so I'm eager for it to come out as people are oh great well I can't wait um and I want to thank you so much for coming to talk to us like I'm you know very happy that I got to talk to you about this book that I love so much and I'm very excited for our listeners to read this too oh thank you so much for having me it was um really wonderful to come on and talk about it and I'm so thrilled that you enjoyed I hope that uh that um it lives up to readers expectations All right, listeners. So even though, you know, at the time of this recording, the book is still far out. By the time that you are hearing this, this book will be available. So check it out at your favorite independent bookstore or perhaps library, you know, wherever you get your books. Uh, This has been Jen in conversation with Emily George, and it is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode. Thank you.